Well, Megan, it's the end of the year. And though we didn't have a full year of avant-garde, I still think we should celebrate the new year and everything that we accomplished on this podcast. You know what, Marquez? That's a super great idea, especially because I just had surgery on my face, and this seems like something I wouldn't need to research for. Yep, it's very convenient that we decided to do this now. It lined up so perfectly that you could barely tell we planned anything. (laughs) I don't have anything else in this opening if you don't, Megan. So I think we should just hit that play button on that theme music and just celebrate ourselves. All right, Megan. It's time for a episode that we don't have a name for yet. The 2020 wrap-up episode of Avant Bard. A 2020 Bard retrospective. Bard retrospective. A look Bard on the year 2020. My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he/him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlo, and I use she/her pronouns. Typically, we as two theater nerds take a look at the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. But we've done that a lot this year, and it's the end of the year, so now we want to look at what we've looked at (gasps) and look at it a bit more. Wait, Megan. What? The highest highs and the lowest lows of Avant Bard. Bard 2020. That's exactly what we're doing, except we're not rating ourselves. We're rating the things we saw. Yeah, we're not rating the episodes. What we're going to do is we have two things on the docket. One of them is ranking all of the works of media that we covered on Avant Bard, save for What the Dickens, because that's not Avant Bard. That's That's not Avant Bard. I don't even know those people. Yeah. And obviously, we're not covering our interview. That we did earlier in the year. That episode also doesn't count. It was really great though. Yeah, That would be high on the list. But that's going to be at the end of the episode. First, we decided that, you know, we've watched like 12 things inspired by Shakespeare. And there's some stuff that we wish we could have seen out there. So we're going to start this party off with some ideas for adaptations that we wish were in the world. I would like to point out that Megan, as she is wont to do, is selling herself short by implying that I had anything to do with the idea for this segment. It was all Megan. So I just want to point out that I want to give credit to Megan because I did not think of this. Thanks. I just thought it would be fun. It would be fun, and it's going to be fun. And because it's such a great idea that you had, I think that it just makes sense that you should go first. All right, so we all watched Magical Legend of the Leprechauns. We all did? Yep. If by we all, you mean... Every single both of us. What if the Magical Legend of the Leprechauns that whole world had a version of Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. And, you know, the main people are leprechauns, because, like, we don't really get to hear from many leprechaun ladies in Magical Legend of the Leprechauns. They mostly just danced. And I 
want to see a leprechaun Beatrice. Okay. And a leprechaun Benedict. Okay. That's really just what I want. Like, you can just cut out the humans. Because see, here's the thing. They were the worst part of Magical Legend of the Leprechaun. Yes, and like, now we got there. So now we, we've had our intro into the world, so we don't need the human guide anymore. Yeah. So now we can just be like, Hello, person who made Magical Legend of the Leprechauns. I want you to make Much Ado About Leprechauns. Is that the name? Uh, working title, yes. I just think it would be really fun. Like, it's a fun setting. We loved the leprechauns and fairies in Magical Legend. Yes. And Much Ado is a really fun play that a lot of people take too seriously, I guess. Or, like, they just aren't exposed to it as much. Yeah. So I think it would be great to have one that, like, people could grow up kind of watching. Okay, I have a slight pitch. Yeah. So I know that we two ship Count Grogan and Sean Devine. Mm-hmm. But what if Sean Devine was our Benedict? Ooh, yeah. Because he's kind of a loosey-goosey, Mercutio-esque yeah. character. Yeah. So we have him as the Benedict, and we have someone out, you know, our new female leprechaun as Beatrice. Yeah. I mean, or it could be fairies, but like the thing is, we saw lady fairies. I want to see some leprechaun ladies. Well, and then also we can have whatever the fuck his name is, nobody cares, the Benvolio counterpart, be Claudio. Yeah. You know, that tale, the tale of Mickey and Jessica, that tale's done. They're together. They're retired. Yes. They got married. It's They live fine. on Palm Beach now. And everyone came back to life. Everyone <gasps> came back from war. Oh my god! Just like Much Ado About it's Nothing. It's literally just a continuation. Yes. And in order to fix the ending of Magical Legend of the Leprechaun, Count Grogan can be Don John, and yes. he's recently brought back to life. Yes! <gasps> See? This is why I need this. Because it's going to be perfect. Yeah, it works, man. They're like perfect companion pieces. Yes. I just want, like, a leprechaun that's like, I'm gonna eat his heart in the marketplace! A little spitfire that's like Mary, but, like, young and mm-hmm. hot. And the Grand Banshee could be, like, Leonardo. Whatever, he's the head of the household. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, whatever. She you can just translate all the characters over a bit. You seriously could, though. It'd be super easy. You I'm- just need some new leprechaun ladies to be Hero and Beatrice. And it's done. We got it. Easy. Market it, stamp it. Sell it to 90s nostalgia. Oh, I'm buying. What have you got for me? All right. I had a much ado. I'm not talking about it right now. I'm not going to follow up a much ado with a much ado. Okay. So I'm going to go from most close to the text to deviation from the text. This is just a straight adaptation with just different theming and shit like that. My first adaptation is what I like to call... Macbeth 1950s post-World War II America. There's a soldier coming home from war. Yeah. Women had jobs. So Lady Macbeth has had some power. Okay. And, you know, a lot of post-World War II is about establishing in the 1950s the nuclear family and trying to make sure that everything feels all right. So your whole thesis is on the fact that their baby died. No. (laughs) My basis is on the fact that Lady M is working hard to keep a clean household. 
And I just imagine her trying to scrub at a stain in her house. And she just keeps seeing it there. It looks really clean, immaculate 1950s household. And she just can't get rid of this post-war grossness that is pervasive and 1950s America was just trying to get rid of. So is it like a she really was like, yes, go to war, you've got to go to war to be a man sort of thing, and she has that guilt? Or is there still, like, the equivalent of the killing the king guilt? Both. Okay. Why not? Yeah. I also want the witches, they'd probably also be housewives. Oh, but, like, the Tupperware party, like, gossipers? Yes. One visual that I have in mind is I've always had this idea of bloody strings of yarn, because I think that yarn takes to liquid very weirdly because it's a bunch of strands and so when they get wet it becomes frayed and just the idea of bloody yarn just looks like viscera also just the way that yarn is kept usually while you're working on a knitting project it's in that like bowl where you can't actually see the bottom of it so you could actually have someone working with dry, clean, and then as they go, suddenly it's moist, it's bloody, it's discolored. It's like, well, where is it coming from? Yeah, and then you can connect the witches to the fates in that they cut the thread of life. And I just want this metaphor to shine through. I'm not changing the text. I'm not doing anything like that. I just think that there's a connection there to trying to keep things Prim and proper and perfect. And the guilt of war is shining through with Macbeth. Like Macbeth also has this thing where he sees the ghost of Banquo. He basically goes mad at the party. And that's like, I don't want to say the red scare, but I kind of do want to say the red scare coming through. That's it. I like it. I feel like I could definitely super see like a stage version, like a Chicago Shakes performance of this. That's mostly what I want for this. Because it is such a straight adaptation. If I wanted to go further with it, you could definitely do a whole thing with it. But I kind of want this one to remain in the text. So I think that having a movie with the aesthetic... It would be very niche. Yes. So definitely a stage adaptation. But I'm a theater guy, so that's my background. All right, Megan, what have you got next on the docket? Okay, this one I have thought about the least. I'm going to be honest. Okay. But I just know I want it. So, everyone loves Romeo and Juliet. Sure, that's a lie, but okay. okay. what I mean by that is, movie studios love remaking Romeo and Juliet. I say, I don't want more Romeo and Juliets to add to the list of adaptations that Avant-Barge should eventually cover. What I want is a different romance. Oh? That a lot of people just kind of put to the wayside, because... The romance is like a third of it. I say that maybe if you want Romeo and Juliet, but a little older and not as problematic for a lot of people to try to do as Othello, then maybe we need to get some more Troilus and Cressida up in here. Troilus and Cressida. So I want a Troilus and Cressida that focuses more on the romance plot. Whoa, 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 Megan. You don't love the high-stake politics of the Iliad? Okay, here's the thing. Like, I actually do like those parts, but like... Marketability. Marketability. Also, I'm fine having the war stuff happen because I think there's some incredible care. And like, you've got Patroclus, 
that whole and Achilles and Achilles that whole super gay shit. Like I want that shit in there. Yeah, as an adaptation, so it will have certain aspects of Shakespeare because it is a yes. a work that Shakespeare adapted. Yes, but you want a specific adaptation of William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare's got it. So, like, I want the main focus on Troilus and Cressida. Yes. I want there to obviously be a war that's happening in the background, because otherwise there's no problem with them. Like, their whole thing is wrapped up in that. And this needs to be a film. Yes. Because I think that prior to the problem of Troilus and Cressida is war talks on stage because of the fact that you can't focus on any single person is boring. There's a lot of people on the stage and they're all just sitting kind of far away from you so you can see them all. Yes. Like, I would love it if there was like, Agamemnon stands up. He says a thing. The shot focuses on him. You don't have to see one person stand up. Yeah, and like seeing other people like rolling their eyes at Nestor. Like, I want a more relatable, more understandable Troilus and Cressida that like, the youth can watch. Yeah. I mean, not like young, young, you know, but people could get into it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think it's such a good story. If people are like, I kind of like history. That's usually the history that they kind of like. I would also say, I think it's pretty clear what's keeping these two kids apart. It's a war, not a family feud of which you don't know the cause of. Yes. It makes the Montagues and Capulets seem really dumb because they're fighting over nothing. Yes. Because we don't know. And like jealousy is a part of it. That becomes part of it. There's just a lot of layers to it. While there's also a lot that you can kind of cut out from Shakespeare's. You don't need all of it. But like, I don't know. I feel like there's a big play here that people just aren't using. You want a medium to large budget film would you be okay with like an indie budget yeah just any amount of money here's my thing can you imagine if they spent michael fassbender Macbeth money on a troilus and cressida be amazing it would be incredible yeah yeah you could do that for that amount of money yes yeah you don't need to show the full scope of the trojan war you know what movie tried to do that troy, troy. you know what movie kind of sucks ass troy troy So I think that you got the right idea. That's all I want, because I love the story of Troilus and Cressida. I think there are some incredible parts. Yeah. And with the right cuts, it's so intriguing. And the romance hits you. And the intense care slash hatred people have for each other are shown so vividly. And I think it's a waste that there isn't a good adaptation that just runs with it. Yeah, there's none. I think that that's the main point here, is that there isn't any. Yeah, but now I want to hear your second. Okay. We're straying farther from the light now? Yes, this is okay. this is further from the light. So this is another much ado. This is what I like to call much ado about nothing in the style of telenovela. Ooh. So I want really bright lighting i want the lighting to look like a telenovela because telenovelas have that weird lighting thing hero goes in a coma yes that makes sense she goes into a coma and then claudio is at her bedside like crying and everything the main point of this is that all of much ado about nothing is about 
gossip and secrets and leprechauns and drinking and i think that that lends itself well to the high drama high stakes low stakes world of a telenovela because it's low stakes in that it is not world ending but it's high stakes because everyone cares immensely about everything that goes on wait sorry everything cares immensely about almost nothing going on I think that's the title, Much Ado About Nothing. (laughs) So I think that that works. A couple of ideas I have for this. Thank you for bringing up Hero Faking a Coma. That makes a lot of sense. I want Don John. He's called Don Juan. Oh, I'm in. He comes in a guitar strums to announce his presence. Yes. You could tell that he's the bad guy. I mean, because that's the whole thing about Don John. He's not secretive. And in telenovelas, the bad guys are not secretive. So you could just go like, that's Don Juan. (gasps) Shakespeare would have loved telenovelas. Yes, it's high drama. It's high drama played for the masses. And you got a buffoon in Dogberry. And that could be your like comedic character in the telenovela that everyone's like, ha ha ha, he's always getting into trouble, that dog, Barry. <laughs> I'm okay with either this being, you just use the characters and you just have like a 13 episode run series with this aesthetic or it's just the one story. But I think because of how it works, Much Ado About Nothing is like kind of a Commedia dell'arte piece in which you could just keep having these characters do whack shit. And I then... would love to see like a limited series of it. Yeah. That would like... be so good. Yeah. So either it's a limited series or it's like a TV movie. Either one I'm okay with. It won't cost much. There aren't any large sets or set pieces. There's no war. I don't want like big name actors for this. Honestly, it could be in Spanish. I would hire someone to put this in Spanish and then have translators for English. Or maybe it's like Los Espookies, in which part of it is in English and part of it is in Spanish. And there are subtitles throughout, no matter who's speaking when. I don't care. I just think that the aesthetics match too well to not have it be done. Hell yeah. It could also work as a stage play. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think... The lighting, I think, needs to be important. That's why I think it should be, like, on the TV or a streaming service or whatever. So I'd want to replicate the lighting of a telenovela. Yes. I mean, how so many entrances are. There's so many grand entrances. They stand in a doorway. In Much Ado. They stand in a doorway. That scene of Beatrice and Benedict talking would be so good. I'd imagine she'd pull out a gun. Ugh. Or or she pull out a gun when she says kill Claudio. There would be a perfect commercial break there slash end of episode there. Yeah. I love you. Okay, tell me to do anything. Kill Claudio. And then the end. Yeah, the end. I think that's the end of the episode. That's, yeah, that's the end of an episode. Yeah. That's cliffhanger central. Yep. Oh my God. So I watch this yep. every day. So let's make it. Come on. Get at me. <laughs> I think this is a great idea. I think it can make you some good money. Hit me up. I'd watch. I'd buy every DVD. I would definitely buy a DVD of this if this existed. All right, Megan. This is your last one. Wow me. So it's the holidays. It's been the holidays. A Santa Shakespeare? Well. 
Wait, wait, whoa, 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 you're coming in hot. Megan was the hot hand here. So I would really like to take a Hallmark Christmas movie approach. All right, I'm liking this. I'm liking what I'm hearing. To a comedy of errors. Okay. Where it's like, you know, some family that, I don't know, they own the Christmas tree farm that's the biggest and whatever. Uh, there's an accident and the, okay they're gone they're gone i've never really cared much about christmas because my family fell apart and one's just like i don't have a family so christmas is my life and adriana's just like my husband and i we love christmas and he's like i don't like christmas i don't know what you're talking about get away from me you crazy lady and then he meets her sister and he's like i believe in christmas now it's just like this whole, I don't know, just the whole idea of a romantic comedy, which is really all a comedy of errors is, is just right for a Christmas movie. So there is a Christmas movie. What? Called. What? No, 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 oh, okay. no. It's not your idea, Megan. Oh, but okay. it's called The Princess Switch. And it is Vanessa Hudgens is a princess who finds kind of this like average girl who looks exactly like her. Why played, are there so many movies like that? Played by Vanessa Hudgens, and they switch places. And so I think you could do a movie like that where two sets of twins, one of them visits a town that's all about Christmas, and he does not like Christmas. Because his family was torn apart, and, he, and then it turns out... That they're the same family. They're the same family, and now he can have Christmas in his heart every day. Yes. That's just what I want. Like, it's not a very complex idea. I just think it would be cute, and I think there should be more Shakespeare Christmas movies. <laughs> We're going to combine the two? Yeah. The two loves Christmas and Shakespeare? Yeah. Okay. A comedy of Christmas. A Christmas, a Christmas of Errors. A Christmas of Errors is a great title of a Hallmark Netflix Lifetime Christmas movie. They're all getting in on it. Hallmark, Netflix, and Lifetime. Yeah, it's a triple threat. But no, yeah, Christmas of Errors. I like this a lot. This one gets the green light. They've all gotten the green light so They've far. all. All of them are good. Last one, Marquez. Make it good. The year. Oh, oh okay. 2400. Okay. On the starship Albion. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. We have a bunch of colonists in hypersleep fleeing Earth to a new exoplanet that can hold life. Now, not everyone can be asleep. No. Someone gotta be awake. So, we have a crew. Yeah. Which basically comprises of individuals with just enough of a population density in order to have lineages in deep space. There's enough people so that... They're not all going to end up inbreeding. Yes. Yeah. And the captain of the ship is Lear. What? Why didn't I see this coming? <laughs> and he is getting a little fucked up because he's been a part of a long line of people who have gotten to be the captain of this ship. Yeah, that's got to be rough. And your entire culture is generations back earth culture is generations back so he is obsessed with a bunch of anachronistic shit that 
has been in the holds of this starship. Obviously, you took a lot of Earth culture with you. And he's just obsessed with this. So it's like a bunch of mishmash of clothing, of music, of everything is on this ship. We follow the basic Lear shit. He tries to divide the crew up between his daughters. It's not great. Mutiny start happening. I want the fool to be the ship's AI. Oh, hell yeah. Because that's why I'd be like, well, logically, you're an idiot. Yes, this was an illogical maneuver. Now, there's the second plot. Yeah. I've thought of this. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. Edmund. Yeah. Now, Edmund is not a bastard. Okay. What Edmund is, is an organ farm. Ooh. Clone. Ooh. Of Edgar. Oh. So, perhaps Edgar was a very sickly child, and in order to make sure that he stayed alive, they cloned him, but he didn't end up actually needing any of the organs, and so the clone just became a younger version of him. Yeah. Except it's not, because that's not how cloning works. Yeah. They have their own thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And now everyone treats him like he's a second-class citizen. He's a spare. Because he's a spare. Oh, That's the basics. I haven't gone into the nitty gritty details or how the plot plays out. Yeah. But I just have this concept and I think it works. This again, I think I would like to see as a limited series. Yes, definitely. Instead of a film. This is like the BBC does a six episode series of this. Yes. And then that's it. It's done. What what would it be called? Good question. I don't have an answer. The Good Ship Lear. Uh, no. Space uh, Lear. Nothing out of nothing. Something like that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something about that line. Yeah. Nothing will come of nothing. Because they're in the vacuum of space. Yeah. There's nothing out there. And that's what Lear is also about. Yeah. Which is raging against a world that doesn't care about you. Shit. And, and space doesn't give a shit. Space doesn't give a shit about you. It'll kill you the second it can. <laughs> It is a cruel world. Maybe the storm is like a solar flare that the ship weathers and Lear is in a part of the ship that doesn't have shields like dedicated to it. There's that. I definitely think that there's- Or just goes in like the oxygen farm and is just like high off oxygen. Yeah. What I like about it also is in Shakespeare plays, especially tragedies- You don't really focus on the people of the kingdom. So you don't really focus on average Joe. Yeah. So I think that that with everyone being in hypersleep, it's everyone's fighting over people who do not have a say and cannot make decisions and can't riot or anything. Yes. That's what always drives me crazy about things like Lear's. I'm like, well, but if the daughters end up being super shitty, the people will riot. Right? Yes. So I think that that having them be like, we're not an entity, but yet everyone thinks about how important they are. Like, this is an important thing. We are traveling across the stars to deliver humanity to a new planet. So would you have full AI just get shut off? That would be great. I think that would be a great thing. Because we could definitely have the daughters be like, this AI has been on for too long. Maybe it's like an AI that learns 
and Lear has had it on for so long. It was supposed to be like a getting you used to it. Yeah. Yes. And it's kind of like grown in, in like sentience a little bit. And they're like, I am tired of this thing being on. Yeah. We did not need this. Oh, I really like that. It's been in my brain for a long time and there's nothing I can do about it. Claymation. Claymation? Uh, just a whole. I'm gonna learn claymation. Yeah. I'd rather get into show business. If anyone who tunes into the show knows a TV executive, <laughs> have them listen to this episode and then email us at avantbardpod at gmail dot com. Those are our ideas. That's it. That's the ideas of 2020. Yep. I love that. That was really good. It was really good to express myself artistically in conversation with you. Yeah. I think that that's a good way to wrap up the year on Avant Bard. It can't be a true wrap up without a ranking. All right. Okay, so we don't know each other's lists. No, we kept them secret. Shh. Well, here's the thing. I think I have a pretty good idea and i know that you do for me as well yeah of what generally is at the bottom of the list and what's at the top generally yeah i think we know each other well enough and i honestly think that we have pretty similar feelings on things it would Mm -hmm. just be what individual criteria did we use to rank them because we didn't set a criteria it is based on personal preference How does it work as an adaptation? Is it a good thing that we liked to watch? Yep, all those things combined. Yes, it is everything and nothing. If you are tuning in, this is our personal list. I will not say this is better than this, or this is a better work of art than this. This is not a critique that we in any way, shape, or form feel like This is definitive. Yeah. This is just our thoughts and feelings. Let us go one by one, 12 down. Yeah. So 12th place, last place. Okay. Do you want me to go first with my 12th place? All right. Avant-garde ranking. Number 12. Anonymous. Macbeth. You hated Macbeth more than Anonymous? Is it because it was boring? Yes. Got it. So... Macbeth is so boring. It took a play that's really exciting. And short. And short and made it long and boring. And I just won't stand for it. Yeah, that's fair. Megan, I get you. Number 11 for me uh-huh. is Macbeth. Prince of Wags. Prince of Wags above Anonymous? I hate that episode <laughs> so much. Wishbone is better than this. Okay. He knows better. Number 10, Wishbone, Prince of Wags. The Tempest. Where is Anonymous? (laughs) Where is it, Megan? So the Tempest was so quiet that I take personal offense to it because it's just not accessible. Okay. So I had to put it lower on the list because it's hard to enjoy it. Yeah, there's no good copy of it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And like they don't have subtitles. So if you have any auditory processing issues... You can't enjoy that film. Well, that just makes me look like an asshole. Number nine, The Tempest. Anonymous. Thank Christ (laughs) that you put it at least in the bottom four. See, when I put it 
fourth from the bottom. I was like, Marquez is going to lose his shit. I'm so mad. Anonymous is a piece of absolute shit. I'm going back. My reasoning for number 12 being anonymous as the worst thing we've seen is I don't think we've lost hope more (laughs) than we did during that episode. I think we became unhinged. I think we just, as the movie went on, we just kind of gave up on life. And it is just such a soul-sucking experience that we had to just create little stories about other things happening in the film. The fact that it was marketed towards teaching kids is a huge insult. Yes. Fuck Oxfordians. I completely so, understand why you put the other things above it. The more that you say bad about it, the more I think it deserves lower on my list. But at the same time, I had a really hard time placing things. Like, if you remove Shakespeare from Anonymous, if you forget the whole it was being paraded as actual history... It's a somewhat entertaining film. There are entertaining moments yeah. in the film. If it conveyed itself as trash... Oh, it would I, be higher up on the it list. It would be way higher up on the list if it knew it was trash. But yeah. it doesn't want to be viewed as trash. No. Number eight. The Magical Legend of the Leprechauns. I feel like people are going to kick me in the butt for this, but she's the man. Megan? Yeah. Number seven. She's the man. The magical legend of the leprechauns. Yes! Okay. See, because I was just like, I like the Mickey and Jessica stuff more than I like any of the stuff I like in She's the Man. Man. A little peek behind the curtain for magical legend of the leprechauns. We did not know that it was a three-hour thing. And I think by the time we realized that, we had spent... Until 10 p.m. watching it, expecting it to be over. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't. Yeah. And so, again, we became very unhinged in our notes. It didn't help that, like, after that point that we'd hit, there aren't that many good parts. No, it drags so hard. And I think that She's the Man being, like, a tight, like, 90-minute film really helped its case in this regard. If you notice, I rated She's the Man lower in our episode of it than Megan did but higher than Magical Legend on my personal list yeah so it's somewhere in the middle yeah I mean this is the middle of the pack yeah these all could be interchanged if you just said like well what about as an adaptation then things are going to change wildly and you said what about entertainment value wild change and I think a lot of these are in my opinion, the hardest to place yes. individually. Yes. <laughs> because it's like, what is the difference between a five and a six? Yeah. A sliver of a difference. Number six, The Black Adder, episode one, The Foretelling. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah. It's just middle of the pack. It's middle of the pack. Gives me giggles. Has references. Eh. As an adaptation, fuck. All over the place. Fucked. But, I yeah. Mean, had a few jokes that I was like, nah. Yeah. It's fine. It was it's good. Fine. Megan. This is where we're going to start. Wildly. The top five, I think, are going to be very different. Or Well, it's funny because it's the same five. Yes, but just the placement. The placement's going to be different. Yes. Number five, Theater of Blood. Bernhardt Hamlet. Okay. Okay. I respect this. Yeah. Theater of Blood knows it's trash. Yes. Is trash. Yeah. And I will eat this trash. Oh, every day. I love it. 
the only reason it is number five and not higher is because it's not an adaptation of anything. It is just a schlocky horror movie that hits all my buttons, but it's not really what we like to dissect on the podcast. Mm -hmm. There were a few moments where we actually had like, what a strong choice, (laughs) because there isn't. It's just a better than you think B movie. See, I think I ended up putting Bernhard Hamlet at five because it's really good, but it's also a play. Yeah, inaccessible. It's inaccessible. So I think it definitely deserves to be in the top five, but I think it's kind of unfair to people who can't just go out and see it. That's fair. Number four, Bernhardt Hamlet. Theater of Blood. I love this, Megan. Our top three is the same. Oh boy. We're more alike than we think. Oh, I knew that we were going to be close, but all of these flips of Magical Legend of the Leprechaun, She's the Man, Theater of Blood, Bernhardt Hamlet. Yeah. It's making me happy. Yeah. Because it's like, again, what is the difference between four and five? Right. And what is the difference between seven and eight? Yeah. Very little. As for why I put Bernhard Hamlet above Theater of Blood, there is nothing that's going to make me feel the same way as sitting watching that play with you and having it be a spark of inspiration of we already knew we wanted to do this podcast and then the second that he starts talking about how everything's an adaptation yes and we both turn to each other and we're like this is this is why we need to do it like this is our start yes and so it will always have a special place in my Mm. heart i rated it above theater of blood number three ten things i hate about you what's up megan What'd you put at number three? Ron. Okay. Okay. I mean, I again, Megan, if it's top three, I gotta respect it. Why this rated below the other two is I think it is this far away from being a masterpiece. I think 10 Things I Hate About You is just like this close to being a masterpiece. And it just misses that mark. And... That makes me sad. I think that there are just a few things about it that I don't like, and that's it. I love the film. I think it's a fantastic film. I also think that, again, it is the definitive adaptation of Taming of the Shrew. It just doesn't quite get there for me. That's really similar for why I put Ron, because, I mean, Ron is literally a cinematic masterpiece, but... (laughs) I think that too much of the story is based on the Morimotonari legends okay. instead of Lear. So okay. that's why it went to third, okay. which is still real high. Yep, 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 yep. Number two for me, A Midsummer Night's Dream 2017, 2018. Again, unclear. Multiple <laughs> websites give different years. 10 Things I Hate About You. So that means your number one is A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Really? Yes. Strong choices? Strong choices. Fixes. Fixed the two most problematic characters in the entire play that, like, nothing ever fixes in a way I like. Literally made me stand up and scream with how strong that choice was. When we were first put on to the adaptation, shout out to Andrea Stevens, professor at our alma mater, UIUC. I watched 20 seconds of it, and I texted Megan, we need to watch this. I turned it off. I was like, 
I can't watch any more <laughs> of this. We need to discuss this. It's another one of those ones where it was obvious that this is why we do what we do. So that's why I respect it a lot. Another peek behind the curtain. Sometimes when we need something to discuss, we don't know what we want to watch for the next episode. But sometimes it is super clear what we're watching and we're excited about going into it. And this was one of those cases. Yeah. Because, like, Midsummer is one of the most performed Shakespeare's. And I've been part of it multiple times. I've seen it even more. Mm -hmm. And yet, this excited me in a way that a Midsummer hasn't before. Yeah, it plays with the text. It plays with what filmic language are we going to use to portray it. It messes with it the most. Yeah, and it most takes advantage of the medium of film. Yes. So I get that. I totally get it. That's why it's my number two. Now, Kurosawa is a master director. Yeah. One of the greats. Yeah. Every shot is beautiful. They had to burn down a set of a castle. There was no CGI. It was all extras. They shot real arrows at him. It's just a great film. So if I am judging it by my own criteria, I agree with you about the adaptation not being 100% Lear. And so that's kind of an iffy thing for you. But when I view it as a film, you know, I'm more of the film guy. You're yeah. more of the adaptation person. Yeah. So it's just too masterfully done for me to not put it at my number one. That is completely fair. I knew it would be because of that. You guessed it a couple of weeks <laughs> ago. You said, is Ron going to be your number one? And I just went, I don't know, uh, what, whatever, but it's just got the most visceral reactions out of both of us. This uh, made us feel the most. Yes, and it made me cry. I think it connects its themes really well. I think that Midsummer has more masterful use of filmmaking as adaptation, but this is just a good film. So I know I keep saying it <laughs> and I keep repeating myself, but... But that's the truth. Yes. It's a masterpiece. It, it cannot be overstated that Ron rules. Kurosawa makes mad films. Yes. Now, I don't make films. But if I did, they'd have a samurai. samurai. I think that's it. I think we did it. I think so. That's a year wrap on Avant Bard, one of the worst years in recorded human existence. Let's see if we can top it next year. I want to thank our listeners, no matter how big, no matter how small our numbers are, just one person listening to this podcast and texting me or tweeting at us, tweeting at us makes my heart grow. We guested on Fuckboys of Literature podcast, and we are going to be guesting on Protest Too Much podcast. And we love both of you. We loved being on your podcast. Please invite us back on. We love our podcast neighbors. This is a very great community. I also want to thank Andrea Stevens and any of her students who are listening. Thank you so much. Most of all, I would like to thank Megan Charlotte for doing this with me every other week. It has been a wild ride so far. <laughs> it engages my brain which I appreciate. We've been in a global fucking pandemic. It has been hell on earth. But having this to look forward to, to discussing art in this way, really helps my mental state. 
And I thank you for doing this podcast with me week in and week out. I want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash avantbardpod. Your support means the world to us, even if it's just a dollar. We try our best to give you funny bloopers and things to look forward to as a thank you. So really, especially in these hard times, that means a lot. If you give a dollar to a small-time artist in a global pandemic where people are getting evicted, a stimulus package in the U.S. is 600 fucking dollars. If you give one dollar of that to any small artist, you are doing your part. And I guess I want to thank Marquez for doing the actor's corners and looking up the stuff on the production that I'm too lazy to look at because I want to read the play and look at the movie. And thank you for making me laugh and doing bits that drive me insane but are really funny when I listen to them in post. I love bits. (laughs) Oh, man, Megan, let me tell you. 2021, year of the bit you have no, just given no, me Marcus. carte blanche no, to do no. as many bit one bit per no. episode that is no. my new year's resolution oh, my no. promise to you dear listener and with that megan take us home thank you again for listening to our inane ramblings about shakespeare and life we love you very much and we will see you anon Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.